0: My parents have always been proud Persians. Ever since I was a child, they wouldn't even respond to me if I did not speak to them in Farsi. Furthermore, my parents have always been proud Muslims. In Iran, my, my family was very well respected. My name can be traced back in the Quran as being part of the lineage of Muhammad, who was the founder of Islam and considered Islam's greatest prophet. I knew, or I grew up believing in the God of Islam. Believing that if I did good things, that I would be blessed. And if I did bad things, I would be punished. When I was in elementary school, I received a Bible during a Halloween event at a church, which I think is very interesting because I feel like a lot of churches don't want to do Halloween events. So I'm just saying. Okay, sorry, back to the story. When I was in elementary school, I received a Bible during a Halloween event at a church, which my parents did not know about. It wasn't until the summer after graduating high school that something promoted me, and I believe that's the Holy Spirit, to grab that very Bible and go read at a coffee shop. What would have normally been a couple-hour reading trip at a coffee shop turned into over 10 hours of straight reading from Genesis 4. I did this for the next month, and during that time, I read through the Bible cover to cover twice. I can't say there are there was a specific verse that God used to make me believe, but as I read, eventually I knew that the God of the Bible was the one true God, and that Jesus was the only way to salvation. After that summer, my relationship with my family completely changed. Where I once remember, uh, where I once remember having such close relationships with members of my family, was no longer ch- true. My old identity as a proud Persian American Muslim was gone, but God gave me a new identity. He called, I'm sorry, but God gave me a new identity as his child and as a follower of Jesus. Because of my testimony, I have always been passionate about the word of God being taught clearly and boldly. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, and my story is evidence of that. God could have saved me in a number of ways, but he chose to reveal himself to me through reading his word and his spirit transforming my heart. To this day, my relationship with my family is superficial at best, though I pray that this will one day change by God taking a hold of their hearts as he did mine 12 years ago. Ever since I became a believer, the church has been my family. My brothers and my sisters in Christ have been the ones who have cared for me, loved me, and sharpened me throughout these years. And I thank God for you as I know you are doing the same daily to those who walk through your doors each and every week. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Can I pray for you? Let me, let, yeah, let me pray for Todd. Our uh, gracious Father, we thank you for that amazing testimony. And how it points us to the power of scripture taught clearly by the Holy Spirit and by a willing servant. And I pray your blessing on Todd. And I pray you give him real freedom and boldness. And, Father, for him to teach. And uh, give us ears and minds and hearts to hear and be receptive. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, very powerful uh, story of a changed life, right? I mean, that is the uh, story of the gospel. Uh, And the key word there is revealing, the idea of revealing, that God is still revealing himself. And you and I play a role in that. And that's what the message this morning is about. It's a two-part series. Last week, we looked at... uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, and we dove into how we are no longer under condemnation. We no longer live under the condemnation of the law and under the old world standards. But we have been lifted from that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We now live into a new law. We live into the the law of the Spirit that gives life and freedom to us. And in that, we live this new life, no longer the old world, but now living in a whole new uh, perspective. Through the power of the Spirit, we are actually putting to death the old way, the old way of life. And that was, that, was week, uh, that was last week, and that was a personal message of transformation. This morning we move now to Paul's continued argument in Romans 8, and it moves from personal to public. It's our role in the world. Now that we have new life, now that we have the Spirit of God, what is, what is God expecting of us? How do we relate to the world around us? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we see in our text here that uh, the anxious longing of the creation wakes eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and I being revealed as spirit-led followers of Christ. The world is waiting for that, anxiously longing for us to be completely and totally revealed in the full redemption of Christ. I mean, that's the passage. That's what Paul's referring to. And we play a role in that now. And there's suffering, there's adoption, there's all sorts of things, is, is things in this passage that we're going to look at. I've been heightenedly aware of suffering and uh, my connection with the, my, kind of my unchurched friends, the world out there that I'm connected to that's outside of the body of, of believers. I'm very connected, and I, I've become more aware of suffering and connection through various individuals. I prayed for that this week. This week and this last kind of this last few weeks, as I've been heading into 2020, one of my goals is that I would have deeper connections in my unchurched kind of friendships with others, um, those in the unchurched community. And I, I've pressed into that, and I've seen God answer that through uh, bringing me individuals. That have shared their own suffering and difficulty in many different ways i've entered into some difficulty and um, some pain and suffering and hardship and yet at the same time i'm also feeling this deeper connection too that's happening with some individuals ran into somebody that i've known for a long time and as we left you know he said hey i love you and and I thought that was kind of strange, you know. I mean, that's kind of something we say in church. We don't really say that outside of church. You don't hear people talk that way. And I was in another situation, and somebody else that I've known said the same, very same thing as we left. And it was, it was kind of out of the ordinary, very surprising. Not that I'm a loving person or anything, but I don't know what it is, but there seems to be kind of in my mindset um, a greater connection with people that are outside of the body of Christ outside of the church. And I'm seeing that develop more and more. And I think that's what Paul's saying here in this passage that you and I have a responsibility to continue developing deeper relationships with this longing, this creation that's longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So let's look at the whole passage and I wanna look at how we get that done. So in this passage, really we're picking up the passage here in Romans chapter eight and I'm going to start in verse 14 that, that, that now that we're being led by the Spirit, we are sons of God. In verse 15, it says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but now you have received the spirit of adoption as sons which cry out, Abba, Father. Well, we've experienced an adoption. And in this adoption, we have a new relationship with God that impacts our relationship with the world. But Paul doesn't end there. The argument continues that not only do we experience this adoption, but he goes on in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That there is a suffering. And then he talks about the longing of creation. He talks about the child, it longs like, and it experiences the pain of childbirth. I mean, that's the way he describes that. And, and there's groaning and suffering and pains that are described in this passage here in verse 21 of the world waiting and longing that there's suffering in the world and there's suffering in our lives. And that also plays a role in our relationship not only with God but with also with the world. And then Paul talks about this revealing, this idea that we are the, as he says in verse 23, We ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a a first taste of the Spirit. And this first fruit of this first taste is evidence of something better coming. But yet it's evident today in us and through us. So we play a role. We play a very, very significant role. It would be very easy to say today that, boy, the world is really messed up. I mean, seriously, messed up. But then, then something changes your perspective, right? You see something, or you meet somebody. I, I saw a tweet, it came through my email, and I clicked on it. it, was, it looked cute, so I thought, oh, this will be cool. It, it was a grandma coming to visit a family, and they were in the kinda, uh, the, the, some high altitude. There's snow everywhere, and she's driving up, and the dog runs out, and I've never seen such an excited dog that wants to see grandma. And the dog's wagging the tail, the whole dog is moving and it's waiting for grandma to get out of the car, and the, and the master calls out and tells the dog to sit, and obediently sits, and it's waiting, and it's, the tail's still going, and as soon as the door opens, the dog just kind of leaps into the car, and just is so excited, and it's just beautiful. It gave me this impression of just this connection with family, and, and grandma coming to see the family, and, and this loving dog that just loves this family, and this great connection, and it begins to change our perspective, doesn't it? Sometimes when we see that, there are moments. There are moments every day that reveal the transcendent, the eternal in the world today. One day, everything's gonna be transformed. One day, there's a, there's a longing, eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God in our full redemption so the world will be, will be relieved of its suffering. We will be relieved of our suffering. That's what Paul's saying. But until then, until that day, keep revealing the transcendent. The transcendent is the idea that God is a transcendent God, that 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 he transcends, he comes into our world. He experiences, he comes into our experiences, he comes into our life. He invades this world. And we see that through followers of Christ that are led by the Spirit, Until Jesus comes back, we are, as the Bible calls us, image bearers. We're image bearers of God in this earth, on this earth. So in this passage, we're not just given a pass, a waiting period, where we're waiting for something better to happen. That often our perspective could be, well, I'm just waiting for it to get better. I'm waiting for the final outcome. I'm going to hang on until then. I know something good is coming. No, not at all. I think there are clues in this passage that lead us to what, what I would say is a massively important task. A spirit-led task where we are putting the old life off, Romans 8, 1 to 13, and living a new life in context of what God is doing and will continue to do until the end. There's a, there's a building up of something better. There's a, there's a developing And we get to play a role in that development. You know, it reminds me of... uh, Douglas Moo said it this way. One precedes the other in terms of a relationship between living in the Spirit and having an impact on the world. Paul's words concerning the final redemption of creation, the final end of all things, the remaking of everything new. We hope for that. We long for that. But our role in it is preceded by the necessity to live... Not according to this world, but by living out a very different mandate. One dictated by the transcendent, the eternal. See, one is, one is related to the other. And so we get a chance to live that out. And we see that in movies, right? Um, redemptive movies. The end of a redemptive movie is beautiful. And, we, and I told you the story of Harriet Tubman last week. And a beautiful story of how she gained her own freedom. In, from slavery, but that wasn't good enough. She went back to lead others to sl- into, out of freedom, out of slavery and in freedom. Her freedom was used for the benefit of others. I mean, that's the way she lived her life. She desired others to be free. That's what Paul's talking about. We're working toward redemption, a great redemption, a powerful redemption. There's another great movie. It's called Greater. It's a story of Brandon Burlsworth. Brandon Burlsworth was was a short, chubby little kid, totally unathletic, who one day grew up in Arkansas, said, I'm going to play for the Razorbacks. And his family laughed at him. His brother laughed at him. He wasn't going to be able, he was going to, he wasn't going to do anything in life. And yet he set his mind to something and he walked on in Arkansas and became a walk-on football player. He never played, and then all of a sudden, something changed. He learned how to play football and uh, ended up leading that team and uh, being recruited and, and uh, uh, third-round uh, third draft pick to the uh, Colts, and, uh, and then his life tragically ended. It's a beautiful story. It really is. It's one of those kinds of movies that I'm going to sit down, so every one of my grandchildren down when they're of the right age, and say, what would you learn about this kid? I mean, going through bullying and, and disappointment and people making fun of him and, and, and uh, didn't fit in. And, 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 he, and he fought through and he stayed the course. And, and, and through the whole movie, he maintains a faith that his mother passed on to him. A faith in Christ that made him different. And all the way through the movie, you experience that and how others experience his faith. That's what Paul is talking about. It's a beautiful story, and it's a story of our lives as well. God is working all things together. At the end of this passage, Romans eight twenty-eight, all things together for good. In the context of what Paul's saying here, all things work together for good because there's a greater plan being worked out, and your life gets to play a role in that. How? This passage is going to describe the renewal of all things and how we participate. Three things through adoption, through su- uh, suffering, and through participation. So let's look at those. Look, so The first one is suffering. I mean, he lays it right out there and says that, I'm sorry, adoption first, then suffering. So the first one is adoption. We are to live into our adoption as sons and daughters of the king. Why does Paul start there? Why does he say, why does he identify us as those that have been adopted, no longer in slavery, but now adopted Sons and daughters of the kingdom that cry out, Abba, Father, with these, these, this inheritance. I mean, all three of those components are in this passage. That we now are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ as adopted sons and daughters that cry out, Abba, Father. Why? I think the reason is, is that in, until we get a fuller understanding of our identity, we're not going to understand our role. We really won't. We're, we're going we're to miss our opportunity of why God has us here. I mean, with, with new identity comes ownership, responsibility, the privilege of working to a greater end in this world. If you don't have identity, you will lose sight of a transcendent purpose for your life. That's why Paul begins with the idea of adoption. We've been adopted in. Adoption is being literally transformed from slaves to sons and daughters. Do you see that? No longer slaves. No longer living under the fear and the anxiety and the oppression. The slave has no ownership. No motivation. No inheritance. And yet all of that has changed in our relationship with Christ. New direction. We now have the direction of our life determined by the Spirit because we are now being led by the Spirit into this adoption. Do you see that? There's a being led by the Spirit into our identity that gives us new purpose. And so there's a connection between our purpose and our identity. Uh, Let me me tell you a story. Uh, There's a great documentary out called Foster. And it's about the Foster uh, adopt Program system in uh, Los Angeles here, and they did this beautiful documentary. Many of us went and saw a uh, showing of it several week weeks ago, but the, the moment for me was was after the film and they they interviewed all these families and and all these relationships and, and the hardship of going through it all and 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 this one woman, this amazing this beautiful woman uh, her name is um, uh, er- um, uh, Erlene Beavers. Erlene Beavers. What an absolutely beautiful woman. She's she's brought in. She probably had five or six kids living in her home, and she just bring them in. She'd take anybody. Doesn't matter. I'd just bring them in. They need a home. They need a mom. Bring them in. And this one young girl was going to be removed and and prepared for adoption. And she said, "Why would I want to go anywhere else? This is my mother. This is this is who I connect with." And and, and Erlesine, Erlesine, um adopted her. And she was on stage after the, the show with her mom. And uh, she was just beaming with excitement. She was beaming with purpose. She, she was so proud of who she has become and who, she's, who she is as a person, as part of this family. It's, it's, it's given her direction in life. I mean, you can see it. I mean, you can see it come through this little girl's life. And uh, Mrs. Beaver says that she transforms them into human beings with purpose and a home and a family. It's what God does for us. It's precisely what it's all about. But there's there's another component to this adoption. We understand adoption and the full rights that you get. And... Yet what Paul does is he goes a little deeper. He says we get to call out God. We call God our Abba, Father. It's, there's a level of intimacy that God is that, that Paul is pointing us to, an awareness of God as Father that comes not from this rational consideration, nor from external testimony alone, but from a truth deeply felt and intensely experienced. We cry, so, to cry out with emotion. There's deep emotion, which shows our dependence. Martin Luther wrote about this idea of Abba this way. He says, The mouth speaketh not, but the affections of the heart speaketh after this manner. Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from thy presence, yet I am thy child and thou art my father for christ's sake i am beloved because of the beloved i am beloved because of the beloved i mean luther sensed it from a deep emotional perspective see familiarity and utter dependence on our father comes from this idea that we can call out and say abba father and from it we get this inheritance And this beautiful picture of an inheritance. And the idea here is that now we're fellow heirs with the Messiah. We share in all things, even ruling over the world of creation. We play that rule as our inheritance. And we understand inheritance as this idea of not something you get in the the future, but you get a taste of it now. Something in earnest. We've been given a little taste of it. In the future reign there's a present reality that you and I participate in the the continue, ongoing nurture of creation, of the stewarding of creation because of your identity. But there's a second thing. Paul moves on and he talks about, for I consider the sufferings in verse 18 of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. And Paul has this new perspective on suffering that is very unique. We need to recognize suffering points us beyond the problems in this world to a better day. To a better day that God is bringing. And suffering is always in light of the future. See, I think that's changed a little bit. We see that in two categories here. We First, we see it in the world, but we also see it in the life of the believer. There's both. The world is suffering. The world is under the the dominance of of the fall of sin. And so the world, though it's not at fault, is experiencing the consequences of the fall. And it suffers in that way. And we see that in the world today. We see the world suffering. We see even the worldview today that comes out of the world. Out of culture is off and there's a groaning, there's this deep groaning, which is the cry of someone facing death. I mean, that's how severe it is. It's waiting, it's longing to be changed. And it and, and, and even talks about this idea of labor pain. I mean, in the first century, to give birth was not just painful, you faced the possibility of death. That's what Paul's saying. The, earth, the world feels, the creation feels that. It feels the sense of suffering because of sin. It's off. The culture's off. You know, I, I'm, I'm diving into this huge, massive work called Secular Age by Charles Taylor. And he's describing the current modern culture. That we've moved beyond the post, the Christian culture, the Christian era, into a new modern era that's, that's post-Christian That it's not just simply that we've left behind Christian values, it's actually deconstructing those values. That the God question is no longer being asked by this culture. The world is suffering because it's lost its perspective on who God is. And we have this opportunity to relieve that suffering. But first we need to understand our own suffering. Because Paul talks about our suffering personally as that we share in the glory because we suffer. That they're somehow connected. That we get the glory. We get the future. We get something good in the end, but we got to experience suffering now. And it's part of a whole. You can't separate those. And we try to separate them. We try. See, Douglas Moose says, The Spirit connects our already with the not yet, making the hope of glory, though unseen, as certain as if it were already ours, which, in a sense, it is. There is a sense that that we get something now, but it has to go through suffering. We've got to experience the suffering. And um, it's like Job. You know, you remember reading Job, if you've ever read his his, the story of Job through, all the way through, you get the experience that, that God never addresses Job's personal suffering. He always puts it in light of a greater plan. Your suffering plays a role in light of a greater plan. And, and we've tried to subjectivize it. And, and why, why isn't God relieving me of my suffering when what he's trying to do is, um, is use our suffering To bring about the glory, the greater good, that He's actually working out in your life and in the world. There's a great story. It's the end of uh, one of Mark Sayer's books, and he writes a critique on Jack Jack Korak, who wrote wrote the book on the road, and it's a story of of, uh, modern day life on the road through the invention of the car, and and just traveling back and forth from West Coast to East Coast and living life on the road and journeying without really a destination in mind. And it's a picture of of modern-day culture. And he responds to that and says that that's the modern culture's perspective of being on the road, but we live on a different road, the road that Abraham took, the road that led to a purpose. It's always leading to a greater purpose. It's leading somewhere. It's through suffering. It's through suffering. At the very end of the book, he says, let me tell you how it works itself out. Back in the war, before World War II, um, when the atomic bomb was dropped in Nagasaki, Japan. It wasn't supposed to be dropped on that city, but because of the cloud covering and everything, it ended up dropping on that particular city. There lived a man and a family, a man and his family, Takashi Nagai. And Nakashi Nagai. Nagai lost his whole family when that bomb was dropped. He suffered the poison of radioactive material and and suffered from leukemia and died. But having lost his family, he turned to a community of Christians in Nagasaki and he lifted their spirits and he showed them a greater good. And he wrote about this experience. And they wanted to turn on him as he got up to speak one time. And he said, listen to me. We are learning to walk in the footsteps of the cross. And he led people to a different perspective through his suffering, and he died. And he was honored. See, you and I get that opportunity through suffering to show the world a totally different perspective. Totally different perspective on suffering. But the third thing I notice in this text is our role in the redemptive plan of God in the whole of creation now. It's a now. It's not a later. It's a now. See this? There's an anxious longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing. There's a longing. I want to look at longing. And there's a first fruits. There's three ideas here that point us to something now, not something in the future that points us back into creation and says, you and I play a role. I mean, do you see that? I mean, let's look at this, this idea in all three of these. The final glory is the revealing of the final resurrection, N.T. Wright says. It's the final resurrection of Christ. We get this resurrection of our bodies in verse 23. We're waiting for that. And yet, Earlier, Paul mentions in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we've already been resurrected to new life. We've been resurrected in new life. And Wright points out, it's partly true now. It is partly true. We live into that. And that's why it is so important for us to see how we walk now impacts how we impact culture and creation. First of all, there's a longing. This idea of longing, we groan in ourselves, awaiting this, the adoptive privileges, the, the resurrection. of the, We're longing for all of this to happen. And the idea, the word is like with an outstretched head, we're straining towards something. The word that Paul uses is that you are, you're, you're leaning into it. You're looking for something that's going to come that's better. And yet, in doing so, it's a diversion from all other things and concentration on one single thing. You're, you're, as you're looking toward the future, you, you've, you're, you're being diverted from all other options. And so you're living out this, what Steve Addison calls, this white hot faith. This, you're on fire. You're excited. You're living with determination. You're, you're focused As you move forward, waiting, anticipating, you're living with a potential future, the potential future, the future now, with this longing, with this desire, with this this diversion of all other things, with this concentration on a single object. But we also see in verse 19, there's this revealing. We're waiting for what, what Paul calls a revealing, which is to bring to light, to reveal now, the, the word itself is looking to a future revealing. It's eschatological, it's which simply means in the future. There's something that's going to happen. We're gonna, we're, it's all going to be revealed to us. A new body, a new re- transformed life, a new re- not, remade creation. All of that's going to happen. And yet, in the revealing, the word means to disclose the secrets belonging to the last days. There are hidden secrets secrets that there, there's hints of redemption now we get to experience that it's probably why paul peter said in first peter chapter four that that don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal around you because it's it's working toward building your character it builds us into different people and there's hints of the future now that's the point the revealing is already it's already. We're seeing the not yet now by the change that's happening in us and the revealing of that. But there's another, and that's in verse 23. Notice that it says that we are the first fruits. We having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The idea of first fruit is that it's the beginning of a process. And the unbreakable connection between its beginning and end. It's, it's God's working towards something, but the first fruit is the evidence of something greater coming. It's the, it's the first pick of the labor from the harvest. So you go in, pick it, and it's the very first fruit. And it's a foretaste of something better to come. And so we are that first fruit. See, I think that points to Now. It's not a future. It points to something now. We get to live that out. That's probably why Paul says in Galatians 5 that we're no longer to walk according to the deeds of the flesh. We're setting aside that life, of immorality, and uh, uh, focused on um, uh, pleasure, personal desires, conflicts, anger, all sorts of things come out of that. And the deeds of the flesh are are mentioned, and yet we don't walk in the flesh, we walk in the Spirit, and that's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. The fruit of the Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit are things that are evidenced in us that will be fully manifested in the end, in the future. Paul says we wait eagerly for that, we wait with this sense of eagerness not a passive waiting but an active waiting waiting is active not passive we continue to trust and to see the first fruits come out of our life so what is the role that we play i mean really where does this take us where does this lead us it leads us to a better place leads us to a better road Um, but it all starts with the cross because the, re- the redemption happens because of the cross. It le- the, the road leads to the cross. And the steps that Jesus took to the cross to set us free so that we might live into the future are the, are the ro- is the road that we go. And we walk that road. And as we do that, creation is impacted. We get to impact. See, that's, that's what wakes me up in the This is the stuff that really excites me. This is kind of my why. This is is who I am because what I see is opportunity to create something different in the world. I I love that. That excites me through my relationships, through the way which I, I live my own life, the way we live our lives, and how we can have an impact. See, we're creating something different the first fruits of something more to come. But it starts with the cross, because in the cross we get new life. And so this morning we're going to go to the cross. We're going to go to the communion table and remember the cross, and remember the road that led to the cross was a road of suffering, and yet it led to new life for you and I. So let's pray together, and we're going to get to experience that today. Father, I, I pray you give us a, a new passion for this creation. That we don't just passively sit and wait, but we recognize this, um, this privilege that we've been given tremendous privilege to live lives that matter today how we impact others and how we live our lives are building to a greater future that you're producing. A rethink, a renewing of all things. I, I want to be part of that. Lord, I want to I participate in that. I want you to expand my mind. I pray that you'd give me new vision for that. My relationships and, and how it may transform my my role in this world, maybe as a student, maybe as a, a worker, an owner, somebody independent, retired. We could be in a lot of different stages of life, but you called us into a great, great privilege and responsibility that brings about a greater glory. And I want to live for that. I want to live for that. So I call that out. Holy Spirit, Come. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Lead us into that life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. Just never looking back. I surrender. Under all, I'm living for your glory on the earth. This passion in my heart, is stirring in my soul, to see the nations bow, for all the world to know. I'm living for your glory on the earth for the sake of the world burn like a fire in me, light a flame in my soul for every eye to see, for the sake of the world burn. This passion, this passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, see the nations round for. Every eye to see for the sake of the world burn like a fire.
0: Take a moment if you want to get up and take communion. Feel free to do that, but let that be our prayer today for the sake of the world. You know, I said this at the beach, but we come here not just for ourselves, not just for our own growth, not just to see our friends and to feel good and to feel, you know, hopeful when we leave. It's actually to be filled up, to be sent out to share this hope, this love, this joy, this peace, to know kindness, and then to share it. Wherever we're at in our process, wherever we're at in life, we're moving forward. We don't have to have it all together to share love and peace and kindness of our God. And it's for the sake of the world that the fire will burn in us. So thank you, Jesus. We have one more song. Feel free to take communion during this time.